Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365 day returns. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, the Renault Dealer of the Year and most Google reviewed dealership in Ireland. For award winning customer service you can trust, visit us today. Blackstone Motors, drive with peace of mind. 041 983 I know, I know, I know. Thank you all for the sympathies and the messages. She stood me up yesterday. Kylie. But what can you do when you have a sore throat? You can't sing. I understand. I tweeted her and said, I hope you're well soon. Oh, my God, what a disappointment yesterday afternoon when my son rang me and said she's not coming. I said to her, you're joking me. I thought it was a wind-up. Not at all. I got the text message then immediately, got the email through from the promoters to say she was ill. Kylie, get well soon. I'll always love you. That'll never change. I understand. Anyway, you're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio this Monday afternoon. You're very welcome to the show. Let's get straight to business. A dragon in her day for TV purposes, of course. Co-founder with her husband of East Coast Bakehouse. Chairperson of Women for Election. Supporter and advocate of developing countries and people in the world. Is there no end to this woman's prowess? I am so delighted to welcome her back to Late Lunch. Alison Cowser, it's great to see you. Hi, Jerry. How are you? I am very good. Thank you for joining me again on the show. Well, I have to begin. I, I think you sort of knew where I was going to begin with this. You know, you were part, of course, of Dragon's Den. Uh, you had friends there and there are not one, two, but three dragons running for Aris on Oogd Road. How well do you know each of them? You, you definitely know Gavin well, Oh, I know you? Gavin very well, yeah. I sat, I sat actually next to Gavin. Uh, my chair was next to his in, in the den for two seasons. Uh, I know himself and Orla very well. Um, Orla, great, 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 great businesswoman herself. In fact, she could be on the ticket too. Um, and uh, I know Sean, going back over the years through through kind of various entrepreneurial bits and pieces, uh, I've I've only met Peter twice, so I don't really know him. At okay, all. so we we'll, yeah. we'll leave Peter out of the equation. So there are three dragons running, and of course Michael D is running again. We have two women in the field, mm-hmm. and that's it, isn't it? That's it. That, that, that's that, it. That's, that's six. Yeah, that's six. It all kind of happened kind of came together very quickly in the mm. end much shorter campaign this time it feels than the last time mm. I worked on the Mary Davis campaign seven years ago uh, and that was a very long campaign that started much earlier in the summer uh, very I would say toxic in terms of the way the whole thing panned out and uh, and I really hope we're not going to get into that space this this time mm. I mean maybe the only positive thing you could say at this stage is it's only two and a half weeks to go so <laughs> we're nearly there <laughs> already you know? we're not going to be uh, pulled or dragged for another yeah. uh, two weeks beyond that as, as you said a long campaign last time around what about this thing of dragons running for Aris on Uthron now let's Alison call a spade a spade here this position is a figurehead position doesn't have much influence you know 
in terms of political life, really, signs off bills, things like that, represents the country. So I hear the dragons and others talking about how they're going to change the world. Come on. Yeah, I mean, the difficulty in running for election, particularly for the presidency, is you've got to put a, some kind of campaign platform together. So you can't just come out and say, I'd like to be president. You have to give a few reasons and you have to wrap some something tangible around that. Um, big difficulty, really, because there isn't much executive power. There's no executive power with the role itself. Uh, so each of the candidates has to come out with their, with their, um, as I say, their platform on what they'd like to do. Um, and, and that's kind of hard to invent something unique each time and different. So I think each of them has to go really into their own expertise and their own experience in life and see what do they believe they can bring to the role. And it's tricky. I mean, we went, if we go way back to the kind of Mary Robinson, the Mary Bacalese days, you know, they had very solid um, transformational kind of programs around, um, you know, being more inclusive. Um, the, the candle in the window of the Auras for Mary, Mary Robinson. We had Mary Bacalese very much around the bridge building in North and South. Uh, and they were big themes, big, dynamic, kind of transformational themes that they really brought through their campaigns and, and delivered on in terms of their presidencies. So it's kind of hard to reinvent it all over again. Mm. And, and I think um, what each of the candidates has to do is really position themselves on what they can bring to the role. Um, and that is very difficult in a quite an intangible role, uh, aside from the signing off bills, the constitutional legal perspective. The rest of it is very much a representative um, of the Irish people being out there and, and, and representing all of us. Mm. Um and you know, fair play to anybody who puts up their hand and says that they're 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 willing uh, and able uh, and 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 ready for usually what is a very difficult campaign mm. to to get through that. So I hope they all come out unscathed. I think the main thing is that this 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 um, election presidential election has a has a reputation for for shredding reputations, frankly. Yes, and I do hope that doesn't happen this yeah, time. Yeah, you're so true there. I remember Brian Lenehan in the past Absolutely. just comes to mind as well. Casualties what all happened over the there? Place. There have yeah. been casualties. Yeah. Happened Sean last time around. I understand. Mm. But business people per se, a business person in the Aris, you'd yeah. like to see it? Well, I think, you know, when you think about business, it's business is part of our daily lives. You know, it's not all about, you know, massive, uh, you know, Gordon Gecko kind of greed is good kind of scenario. Uh, you know, we've business people all over the place. Business, the guy on the corner running the, the news agent, the, the woman running uh, the, the coffee shop, whatever it is, you know, the, whatever business is large and small, they're a part of our daily lives. And I think there's a bit of a narrative that's developed over particularly um, the, well, I think, to be honest, it probably started with Trump, you know, that business is all about, uh, you know, rape and pillage and bottom line and to the exclusion of everything else. And profit mm. is the only thing that business people think of. I think they're missing out people who would who would believe that narrative really on the whole aspect of businesses provide jobs, provide leadership, uh, provide a lot of support in community aspects. And of course, there has to be a profit. If they're not profit, the business will close down. So I think that's that's the reality. But I think if you, you know, you'd want to have a pretty one-dimensional view of business if you completely discount it as having nothing to offer the country. Uh, you know, we need we need represent, public representatives that actually reflect the society that we lived in, live mm. in now. Uh, we have a lot of teachers in the doll, and that's grand, but I think we need a lot of other professions coming in and I don't see why business should be excluded from that, particularly businesses business people that are successful. It's almost like success rules you out, which, mm. seems, which shouldn't be which the case be at all. Case, yeah. I'd love to see more of them involved in uh, mm. the day-to-day -day politics of the country. Yeah. I know local politics would drive yeah. you mad, you know, but certainly at yeah. governmental level through the Doyle, you know, yeah. they'd probably be frustrated by that as well, yeah, wouldn't they? Yeah, and there are examples of people who have come in and maybe threw their hands up and mm. thought, but there are other examples of people who have come in and, and, and really achieved things. And, I, you know, I, I suppose that, that issue of um, the, the Trump factor, I think, is dangerous. I mean, I heard a councillor from Clare there a couple of weeks ago when there was the, still the possibility of, of the Trump visit happening, um, was asked about some of Trump's most difficult policies and, and his view was, Asher, he's a typical businessman. And 
I think that's wrong. He's not a typical businessman you know, or a woman. I'd always have to put a woman at the end of that sentence too. Typical, everything you can think yeah. of. Never mind business in the world. Yeah. Oh my God, I, I, I don't want to get bogged down in that. Mm. While we're on the point, you are chairperson of women for election and it's a yeah. hundred years around this time since women made the bid for the vote in this country as well. When you look today, a hundred years on, you know, how do you feel about a woman's lot in Ireland? Yeah, I mean... We are making progress, there's no question about that. Um, but the political side of things in terms of actually getting um, representatives into the doll and at representative level and county councils as well, uh, we're still only at 22%, 21% at local elections. So uh, that is completely imbalanced. It's imbalanced as regards representing the people on, who, who vote, um, who, who vote uh, our representatives into, in, into both the doll and, and, and local office. Um, it's it's not allowing people to have a voice, not allowing women to have a voice at at really important decisions that are being made every day of the week around uh, around uh, tables in, in in council halls and and, and in the doll. So um, I, th- I just don't think progress is fast enough. It's all about building a pipeline of women that are interested in getting involved and putting supports in place to allow them to mm. actually enter that really opaque world of politics. When you think of it, if you haven't come from a political family, um, it's very difficult to put your hand up and say, you know, go down to the local office, the local common or whatever and, and say, uh, present yourself and say, I'm, I'm kinda, I'd, like to, I'd like to chip in here, I'd like to get involved. So opening that world up through training, uh, support, mentoring is what we do. Um, we've had training programmes running all year. Um, we've had, uh, we've been out around the country. Uh, we've, we're a training programme in, in next month down in uh, Galway. We've been in Cork. We've had two in Dublin. We were down at the ploughing, uh, talking to fantastic rural women, rural women who are looking to get involved, and and that's what it's all about. Just get involved, get involved in your mm. local area, uh, and and put your hand up when somebody, you know, when 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 it, there's a, there's a call out for candidates. Why why not you? I think is the question. Yeah, yeah. and I have to say, I was at a recent meeting about draw the city status, and there were a couple of women there who've been involved in that campaign, mm. and I did say to them, why don't you just mm. now? take this on and get involved. You are good people. You have a lot to contribute. The quotas, you know, in Mm. in the doll, the numbers have come up. The numbers have come up. We went from 17% in the last election, general election, to 22% in in this election. That is women in the doll. And I think that's, you know, that that is an increase. But um, I think it has to come from a systemic kick kick in the behind, you know, and that's what the quotas did, um, saying to the parties, uh, you're going to lose half your funding, uh, state funding, unless you put up 30% candidates. It's going to go to 40% the election after next, which is a big, 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 Mm. um, and I think, you know, that kind of systemic change is really important because that's when real change happens, when the system starts to change. Mm. Now, back to yourself and uh, one of your core interests at this time, East Coast Bakehouse. That's right. Uh, And, you know, I have to say to you, congratulations again to yourself and your husband and all the team, because you flew in the face of convention here. They did tell you, biscuits, don't touch it. You won't make the breakthrough here. But by God, has East Coast. Yeah, I mean, we've an incredible team working. We, we've now, in the last two weeks, gone to second shift. So we now have 63 people um, working uh, on the Road there, um, baking better biscuits, as we promised to do, and really delivering um, great support from the trade um, out there. All the retailers have really come on board. And we're exporting now. We're in 20 countries, um, which is, you know, I suppose if we were to turn back the clock three years ago when we set the place up you know these were all dreams you know Mm. dreams that went down in a business plan and encouraged other people to invest in mind you but still you know you you put it down on paper and you you, you believe it's going to happen but you kind of hope it's going to happen too Uh, and the work that's gone in from the team to get us to to that point you know the idea of actually turning on the machine and, and you know 
really waiting for the contracts. Now we're out there chasing them. They're coming in. They're rolling in. Uh, brilliant to see the brand performing as well as it has. Um, you know, we're, we're really well supported across the trade. I was uh, at, a, at an event down in, in Castle Bar recently. I forgot to bring the biscuits with me, and you know, which is not like me. There's normally a, <laughs> something in the boot of the car that I could go in and uh, I could bring in with me. And I went to the petrol station across the road, and there they were. And I just thought, fantastic, you know. I mean, Isn't that a great fillet for oh, something like that to happen? It really is. And for... Um, Everybody who's worked so hard on this, you know, you, you kind of, you're, you really take, on a new business, you're, you're really relying on people to come with you, um, to believe in what, what the, the vision is and all those good kind of business-led words. But you're really actually asking them to trust mm. that this is going to work. Um, so to end up with, with you know, geez, we're not there yet now. I mean, we're still, we have a long way to go in terms of, 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 of doing all that we said we were going to do. But um, as I say, to, to walk into a supermarket or a garage and actually see them on the shelf, yes. you still get a kick out of that. And it's you know? a massive uh, employment for Drogheda as well that, that struggled I- yeah. in the last three decades to attract really business and lost business as well. Yeah. And being close to Dublin doesn't maybe help it either as regard as a yeah. commuter I mean, town. And I think you know? that's really important for, for towns like Drogheda to kind of you know find their own space again. Um, I'm actually on the board of the mill over... Um, uh, over over the river, and yeah. um, you know we're working there to keep people in Drogheda, and to keep we've we've um, twenty businesses there working out of um, out of the facility, and, and plans for many more. And it's about not sending people down the F the M one every morning, mm. you know, keeping keeping it yeah. live, keeping it local. And that's really the for for, for the northeast. That's mm. the way it should be for Dundalk, Navan, and Drogheda. Keep as many people as they mm. can within their own towns and working away there. Have have you scope for further ex- expansion if you need to? Well, we can. We can go to a shift three absolutely okay. yeah I mean that would mm. be the kind of that's the, the then I suppose we'd see how we, how we go um, what, what, how, how the selling goes how the sales go um, but the aim is to go go for three shifts and then we've also built the factory in a way that we can put in another line so there's enough space to put in a, an entire new line and I think that's really when you start to motor you know when, when we're when we're really at massive scale at that stage, yes. um, which is you know all all in the plans, and you have to keep your eye on on that. You know, as a business, people who work with us, uh, you know, we're 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 very we're delighted with the progress we've made. But I know everybody is is still looking down that mm. that you know the next horizon, the next um, the next development, the next recipe we can develop, the next innovation um, and, and really start to, to, to make it bigger and bigger. I'm going to head to a short break on Late Lunch. Alison has brought us a beautiful hamper of their biscuits to give away today. Now, this, we're really caught in a dilemma here. You know this, Alison Cowser, you heard the remarks coming in here at the studio <laughs> as people spotted them. But I, I love my listeners. I'm going to give this hamper away. I'll be in trouble here in the house, but what about it? I have a hamper, an East Coast Bakehouse hamper of biscuits to give away to one of you on Late Lunch this this afternoon. It's a simple question. This wonderful woman was part of a, an RTE series where entrepreneurs went in to pitch to her and four others. What was the name of the show? We've talked about it a moment ago. I had it there in the introduction. What's the name of the programme we're talking about? Get your answers in now as quick as you can to 086-1800-658. That's by WhatsApp or text. Let's come on to Social Entrepreneurs Ireland. Issues that can't be solved by government is what it says about it. Does that tie in with your role uh, with the uh, women in politics? Women for Election. Women yeah, for Election. Um, actually, it- I came across Women for Election um, about five years ago when they won a big award for social entrepreneurs. So they were one of the awardees okay. that year and that's where I came across them. Uh, and they every year they run a big awards night where they award 
uh, lots of different uh, organisations uh, with essentially enough cash to get them up and running. Um, and uh, in fact, it's to- it's tomorrow night this year. Uh, it's it's down in the Mansion House in Dublin tomorrow, and that is such an inspiring event because you're you're, you're presented really with, and I would take part in the judging pros- process for it um, each year. A whole lot of organisations who are doing incredible things in their community come in, present themselves. Um, now this would be in the earlier judging uh, phases. Uh, pre- present their case. You know, define what the problem was, how they went about solving it, um, and and really look at their vision of what they're going to do in the future, and then and then they go forward to the various competitions, um, uh, the various stages. So that's the big night is tomorrow night, where the the, the this year's winners will okay. be announced, yeah. and there's been some incredible winners over the years that have come through. So when we win for election again, they saw them that night. That was just I can remember saying, "God, I want to be in their gang." When, mm. I, when I saw them up on the stage, <laughs> and, uh, isn't and, it interesting the way you make an association yeah, or it happens? It you know, it's you never intended. Event going there and then you see something Absolutely, that yeah. really interests so you. over the years, I mean, they've had or really uh, big, big, big initiatives come through. So Grow It Yourself. Um, oh, yes, of course. That, down in Waterford. Winners, down in Waterford. Yeah. They've done so well. They're going global on that. Mm. They had a TV programme at them, which I think they have a second series this year. Absolutely really brilliant. just shows yeah. you how easy it is mm. to start, you know, growing, growing your own veg and, and getting more involved with the whole food thing from, from, from you know, from, from literally growing it in, in your own garden or your window box. Um, Men's Sheds came out of that as well. And look what that's happening mm. across the country, providing incredible support to, to men who probably you know what is it they say you know men don't talk face to face they talk shoulder to shoulder you know and, <laughs> and so you know they're they're in there doing whatever yeah. craft or, or whatever whatever their activities are and it's really just getting them together and I think that's so important in, in, in what we've got community wise around the country now that's mm. really important to get, get men Barry together. Sheridan men here with us later you know Barry yeah, yes yeah, is the CEO yes from the area um, here yeah Another big one that came out of that, which is just again gone global, is Food Cloud. I don't know if you're familiar with Food yes. Cloud. Yeah. In fact, actually read about it over the weekend. Uh, so Food Cloud uh, is provides this hub essentially that matches up uh, organisations that have surplus food, be they supermarkets or be they um, food producers, uh, with organisations that need food. So uh, charities, NGOs, community groups, whatever, and really provides that that link between the two, which was never there before, uh, and it just makes the whole thing much more efficient and. The there's a lot of technology behind it. They're working with Tesco in the UK. They've now done a deal, believe this now, where Nestle have signed up with them and Nestle are actually paying Food Cloud to take away product that's surplus to requirements. Now, how good is that? Mm, brilliant. That then starts to feed through and, and cover some of the costs of the whole thing. So, you know, I think when you look at people like who are taking what is a, a problem that we all probably have all moaned about it. God, you know, we're wasting an awful lot of food. They've done something about it. They've put together a really um, positive initiative that works and that's scalable. Um, so I think, you know, a lot of the problems that we see at community level, it can be solved at community level mm. if we just give the it level It doesn't need politics. Yeah. I want to say that yeah, no, nothing absolutely. against you. We no, need I politics and political people as well. Yeah. But this is ordinary Best people. Can yeah, can come from yeah. here is right. You, 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 the companies you supported in the den. I want to talk about a couple of them. Sadie's Kitchen. Yeah, Sadie's Kitchen. Um, I can remember when Sarah came in, Sarah Kylie, and we were just absolutely blown away by her. We all wanted to invest in her. She was fantastic. Um, really great product, bone broth. Um, so. Hours and hours and hours boiling up the chicken bones, which we just don't have time to do ourselves. And uh, she she presents that product in a great pouch, and it's really really convenient to use soups in your soups or um, stocks or whatever. Um, and she's great to work with. She's just so dedicated. Uh, really loves food in the way you know she's she she can her ability to sit down and invent recipes and that mm. is, is fantastic. So she's 
really good on food, but she's also a great businesswoman. Uh, and she's really starting to motor now. Lots of great listings around. So the very happy with really that one. And what about her. wild Irish seaweeds? Wild Irish seaweeds, the lads down in Quilty in County Clare, mm. in County Clare West Clare, beautiful part of the world. Um, I mean, they are harvesting from hand harvesting from the sea. Um, really, uh, a product uh, seaweed uh, which was neglected for so many years, for centuries in Ireland. We didn't really realise what was on our doorstep in terms of the nutritional value of seaweed, uh, both from a food product perspective, but also for skincare and and, and lots of other applications. Uh, they're flying. We've we've put in some new um, equipment, some some new investment, and. Um, I mean, they're just absolutely flying. It's great. And it's really good to see that kind of level of innovation from something that we were really good at years ago, you know. But, I mean, see, we'd always... Um it, it was kind of the poor relation. Yes, it wasn't viewed as being a, a good resource. Mm. And when you see what's happening now globally, um, it's it's finding its way onto dinner tables and menus and, 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 as I say, cosmetics and skincare in a way that it hasn't before. And we've got so much of it around this country, it's fantastic. Surrounded by it. I, I know no word of, of another series of Dragon's Den mm. at this point in time. There's a lot of things on hold. There's a lot of things on hold. I think the big challenge for broadcasting and... Um, particularly for TV broadcasting, is finding the funding for a lot of the programming that that is out there. A huge competition in the area. I mean, you know, you sit down in front of your TV and, 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 you know, you can go global instantly. And that's really difficult for local, uh, well, not for local radio stations also, but um, for for TV stations uh, who are are looking to produce good quality local content. uh, And that's tricky. So um, I don't know, TBC, what's going to happen. But, you know, we had I had two fantastic seasons on Dragon's Den, really, really enjoyed it. uh, met some amazing people, and uh, and for me it was it was just such an opportunity to to get out there and do something a bit different. Do you watch the UK one at all? Do you throw an eye in it if it's on because it's still rattling along? There actually yeah. a, a, a lady that Gavin had, Tan Organic, That's who right. did very well. She went across there. She did. Oh my yeah. God! Did you see that? Yeah, she, she went to the brink with them. Like I mean, mm, yeah. I was saying to her, accept, accept, yeah, accept, she but didn't, she didn't. She no. walked away. She did, yeah, and um, I mean, God, she got her, she got great coverage out of it, yes, you know, from a pure yeah. perspective. That's not really what the program was about, and I think it is important to, you know, to, to go in actually believing you're going to take mm. the investment that you're seeking. Um, but yeah, I, I suppose with all these programs, you know, they have a life. Um, that certainly the UK has been running now much longer than the Irish yes. version. And bigger the, population, the, bigger, bigger population, um, bigger. I suppose bigger stars, you yes. know. I mean, they they kind of brought in. Oh come on, Alison, you're of, our star. No, no, no. I mean, in the context of <laughs> they've got they, they do they do other programs. I know and, you that. Know, they I know build that. their profile. Yes, up. certainly of for me, it's all about the business yeah, aspect. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But they do. You know, they've allowed uh, that program, I suppose, to, to filter into yes. lots of different areas. Mm, Deborah mm. Meaden on, on Strictly. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know what I mean? It happening in Ireland, you know. <laughs> it's amazing the mileage. I often say that they get out of programs if there's something on the BBC mm. across all the radio stations, you know, and 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 associated programs as you say yeah. as well so will well, we see Alison Cowser on Dancing with the Stars someday clearly, on RTE clearly you haven't seen me have I an exclusive today, today? <laughs> you clearly haven't seen come me on. dancing not come on come on Deirdre Kane did it last year and she nearly won it yeah have they, have they announced any of the I don't know no she's not real anyway she's not real oh, no, no no I absolutely Jerry. <laughs> You can record that twice if you like because it ain't happening. <laughs> Will you stay there a few more minutes oh, because yeah. I didn't get to touch on very important matters that are coming up. For example, Brexit and the political situation and other things in Ireland. Alison Cowser is with us on Late Lunch. She appeared in an RTE series. God, we've mentioned it about 10 times now. <laughs> what was the name of it for this beautiful hamper from East Coast Bakehouse? Text your answer now or WhatsApp us to 086-1800-658. Back with Alison after news and weather at 2. Alison Cowser is with us on Late 
lunch this afternoon. I couldn't let you go from a business perspective without talking to you about Brexit and all that's going on with this. And it's on, it's off. Now we're here the weekend. Well, it's looking like there may be a possibility of a deal. Will there, won't there be a border in the sea or on the land here? What's your take on it? Um, I mean, it got incredibly scary. I think from a business perspective there, uh, two to three weeks ago, it really looked like it was coming down in, in, in flames. Um, this last 48, 72 hours is starting to look a little bit more positive. Uh, I mean, it's crazy that we've got to this stage before somebody's actually putting plans on the table, which appears to be what's happening. So uh, I know the the, um, the the officials, particularly the Irish officials, have played a a blinder on this in terms of the the level of detail they've been involved in from the very beginning and I think if you step back and look at it you know the idea that Ireland is is still top of the agenda in terms of this incredibly important uh, fundamental change to the biggest trading bloc in 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 the world um the fact that we're still being considered as as the maybe the roadblock or the the backstop or whatever, but it's still that we're on the agenda. We haven't been brushed aside. Uh, and I think that's really a testament to the good work that's being done um, behind the scenes to make sure that, that this is going to be sorted. So I think, you know, there's a bit more hopeful this week, certainly. Um, the the Tory party conference last week uh, appeared to give a, a bit more strength to Theresa May's position. And I think at the, at the end of the day, uh, you know, negotiation is only going to succeed if both both sides uh, have the ability to deliver on whatever mm. they promise. Um, and certainly last week seemed to indicate that she might get the backing, uh, even, even though the, the, the outcome might be a little bit different to what was originally presented. So we're starting to feel a little bit more positive. But I mean, we need to because we're, we're going to be making product in the next couple of months uh, that is going to be shipped to the UK. Um do you make that product or do you not? Do you wait? Um, do you order in packaging in advance uh, for a contract that may not be viable by the time March comes? You know, there's a lot of really tactical, important everyday decisions that businesses in, in every county in Ireland are making. Uh, so it's not something that's over the rainbow that's that's ages and ages away. It's really practical stuff now. I mean, if we do end up with a no-deal scenario, it'll be Armageddon for the Irish food industry. Do you reckon? Uh, yeah. Well, we're, we're currently uh, exporting uh, about, you know, 40% of our output as a, as a nation uh, food-wise to, to the UK and if the, if the shutters come down, where does that go? We, mm. we can't just find a new And what do you mean market. by the shutters down? Uh, uh, tariffs? Well, tariffs, for some sectors the idea of a tariff you know, may only be 2 or 3% and that's fine but in a lot of food, uh, you know, we, we could be looking at 23% on biscuits you could be looking at 50% on some of the beef industry And you wouldn't be bought on the you shelves over not, there You she wouldn't, wouldn't compete, you, you wouldn't, sure why would, you, why would you ship it because you'd, you'd, mm. you'd never sell it um, and where do you find a market for that product otherwise, so I mean it, it, is, it is absolutely cataclysmic if, if that no deal happens for, for the food industry particularly um, but it is looking like there's a Bit more sense coming into the into the argument mm. um, in the last couple of weeks. It'll still be down to a number of very important votes, and you know, I, I mean, the, the Checkers deal was was waved about as if it was the answer, even though it had only been voted by twenty people in the cabinet in the UK. You know, I mean, as if that was the, the that was the vote that mattered. It's not that we have to get whatever agreement comes out. It has to be agreed by both sides. It has to be ratified by the the the, the rest of the EU, the other mm. twenty six countries. It's not going to be to easy it. it has to get through the the Tory party. It has to uh, get through the 
Parliament in the UK. So a lot of very important votes. So I don't think it'll lay over until it's over. And then we have the two years um, of the, the implementation process and all of that. So a lot of hurdles still to be... Um, mm. But you'd hope that we're stepping away from the edge of the cliff. Yes, you've um, explained that yeah. very well, let me say, here, for in a laywoman's or layman's mm. terms of the, the actual problems that mm. you face and businesses face Absolutely. this very day about yeah. trying to plan for even six, yeah. 12, 12 months ahead. Yeah, imminent. Yeah. Uh, Cameron has a lot to answer for. Why did he ever give them this bloody vote to appease a rump in that Tory party? Yeah, I mean, History will never look on him kindly. Yeah, I Maybe don't, they'll fly when they leave, will they? It's very hard to see. I mean, there, there's no winners in this, you mm. know? I mean, even if they manage to make a go of it, it'll be 20 years before the they make a go of it really and mm. it's a lot of time for uh, a lot of people to suffer jobs wise austerity wise and all that will come because of it It's it's a, an annoyance that wasn't needed in this world because you mentioned Trump a while ago I think mm. we talked about Brexit there Putin China the Middle East Iraq Oh my God, this world that we're in, it's fractious, isn't it, at the moment? It is. And I think we're all watching so much more news that it becomes much more apparent. So, um, I mean, the UN um, has issued statistics recently and, and, you know, statistics can be terribly boring. But the reality behind them is that there are uh, billions of people less in, pov- less, less, less in poverty at the moment yeah. than there were. Um, you know, China, we, 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 we may all have views on China, but China has lifted billions out of poverty um, over the last 20 years. Uh, there are less wars happening and they might... That may not seem the case um, because we all know about everything that's happening now on a 24-hour news cycle basis. But, um, you know, th- there's incredibly positive things happening as well. We don't necessarily hear about those as much. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, w- I love the news. I devour the newspapers and, 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 and news bulletins and all of that. Um, and I'd just like to see a bit more of the positive stuff that is actually happening. Here, here. Uh, an election in the offering at home. Uh, you mentioned the papers reading on the weekend. This big speculation, mm. perhaps November, perhaps mm. next spring at the latest date, next May. Mm. You know, w- what's your feeling? Could we do it one? I wish I, I wish I knew. I wish we all knew there's a guessing mm. game going on. I think the, the, the kind of experiment of the confidence and supply agreement between um, the two major parties, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, uh, has worked quite well, actually, in terms of getting us through some of the, the, the major hurdles over the last couple of years. I think everybody will want to see Brexit at some point stabilised yeah. before anything mm. happens. I mean, I know you know I've no 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 better knowledge on it than anybody else does. Um, but the the unusual thing about the confidence and supply agreement is the real difficulty is getting out of it. Uh, nobody wants to seem to pull the rug, uh, and they want to have a really good reason to, for the electorate to go back to them and say, "Well, this is why we pull the rug." Um, there'll be a lot of dancing around I think a lot of choreography um, to, to bring that to, to an end and and let's hope it's for the right reasons mm. um, and that we get some, some genuine progress before that happens Economically since we first mm. met on this show like my god things certainly have turned mm. now a lot of people would say they don't feel it in their pay packets or yeah. in trying to live day to day and there's still a big rump of debt there that seems to be absolutely just kick the can down the road incessantly mm. um, but you know on homelessness you know the homelessness issue and healthcare yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I think they are this the government two ain't done major, well. They are the two major issues. Um, you know, you can feel. Uh, I think you know, perceptions of progress are are actually almost more important than the realities. Mm. It's how you feel. It's how you feel when you get up in the morning. If you're if you're stepping over, uh, you know, people homeless in the street, and every town and village has homeless people now. It's not just a Dublin thing. Um, that you know, it may not be you, but God, you feel for for the individuals who are in that really difficult situation. And I think, uh, as a country, we're going to have to you know 
start believing we can solve it. Um, there's a lot of money going into it. There's a lot of new systems and structures that won't happen overnight. Um, and I think, I mean, that is absolutely number one. Health, you know, I mean, no matter how healthy you are, you're worried about whether your your auntie or your granny or your mother's going to break in a hip and you're going to be down in, 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 the, in, in the hospital over the weekend and sitting beside her on a trolley for, for 48 hours, you know. So they're the kind of things that, that kind of people don't feel comfortable then generally about how things are even though their own situation may be reasonable mm. um, so I think there's a lot of solidarity required around those issues to get us to a point where we actually start to believe we can we can fix them um, and the politicians clearly have a role I think uh, the you know the the, the, the workforce in, in all of the organizations that are working on these areas have a role um, and it's everybody working together I think that is going to get us through it it has to be solved you know as, an, as yeah. a nation I think it affects our soul when we, we know we can't house people and that we can't look after people when they're sick that's, that's, that's particularly it important. really is yeah. a basic just before you finish I know you're still working away with Goal and the NGOs is a big passion of yours I don't know where you find I don't think there's enough in 24 hours in the day for you I just don't do anything terribly well Jerry <laughs> <laughs> come out of that Give a busy woman a task. You know the old saying yourself. It holds true in your case for certain. Just before we finish, uh, Blossom Heron, congratulations. Yes, we won a silver down at Blossom Heron Food Awards in Dingle over the weekend. Um, Andrew Keegan was, was our, our, flying our flag down there for us uh, over the weekend. We were thrilled because at the end of the day, you know, we talk about business, but we make food. Mm. And to know that um, that the judges felt that our, our, our biscuits were worthy of a silver medal was fantastic. Um, and we're delighted with that. You make food, you make great talk as well, let me say. Always a pleasure to have you with me on Late Lunch. Continued success to you with the bakehouse and everything else you do. And thank you for dropping in to us on Late Lunch again today. Alison Kowser, thanks a million. Thank you. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. We'll let you know shortly who's won the biscuits. But here's another competition for you on Late Lunch today and every day this week. The fantastic new Amy Huberman Bourbon Footwear Autumn Winter Collection is now on sale. Did you know that? You'll find the full collection in premium footwear stores nationwide or online at bourbonfootwear.com. And to celebrate the new autumn winter range, Amy and the guys and gals at Bourbon Footwear have given us a voucher for any style from the Bourbon Footwear dot com range to give away every day this week. How about that, folks? Does that tickle your fancy today? There's a question each day. Today's question. What size shoes does Amy wear? Oh, no, I'm only joking. I couldn't do that. And oh, my God, that'd be a shocking question. That'd be unfair. And you know me, I'm not unfair. Here's the question today for the Amy Huberman Bourbon Footwear uh, voucher. What age is Amy Huberman? What age is Amy Huberman? Answers, please. WhatsApp, text 086-1800-658. Get cracking and the best of luck to you. Now, my next guest on the show today has been living in the Northeast for 46 years. I'm sure she'll correct me if I'm wrong on that one in a moment. She's originally from England and she has a very famous dad. His name was William Courtney and he was awarded an OBE by the King of England in 1950. And a very special medal for his exploits in World War One. I'm delighted to welcome to late lunch this afternoon, Anne Grant. Anne, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining me today. Now, will you go back before you were born uh, about your dad, please? Because he was born in 1896 and 
joined the British Army, yes. Can I just correct you on okay. one thing? It was World War Two, not World War One. Okay, and had he had he no involvement in World War One? Yes, he had. Oh yes, yes. I, I know we're gonna talk about World War Two, but I want to start with World War One just to tell people about him in World War One and we'll get on to the World War Two stuff. Is that okay? Yes. In a moment's time. So let's step back to World War One. He joined the army ahead of the first World War, was it? Yeah, yes, at the beginning of World War One, and he fought in uh, Gallipoli. Yes, yes. So those horrific battles that were out there, he was part of those. He was, yes, he was. And the Middle East, am I right? The Gaza aspect of World War One. He spent some time, I think, there as well. He did. He? Yes, he did. And he was in uh, the Royal. Flying Corps, was that it? He was a pilot, was he? That's right. He had his own plane after the war. Had he? Yes. So he flew in the war and yes. then flew privately afterwards? Yes, he had a full pilot's licence. Had he? Yes. And is it true, was he uh, one of the founders or one of the early people involved in uh, forming the RAF, the Royal Air Force? I think so. Yeah, I believe I believe yeah. he was, that yes. he was uh, was part of that as well. So he partook in the fighting in World War One. He did. Okay, and he had a plane afterwards. Yes. Now, when World War Two came along, tell us about you. Where were you from? Where were you born? I was born in a place called Carsholton Beaches in Surrey. Okay. That's where I was born. Southeast of England? So- Southern England. Southern England. Southern England. And there was you, you had a sister, had you? I had a brother and a sister. Older brother? My brother is older than me. My sister is younger than me, but she's dead. She died oh. three years ago. Oh, my God, I'm Nearly sorry to hear that. Years ago. Okay. So, and, and you were born, what year, in and around the war? 1937. Years? Okay, before World War Two. Yes, 19th of September, 1937. So when war broke out and during the war, have you memories of that time? Oh, yes. Vivid, you remember it? Vivid memories. Like what? What do you remember? What do you recall? Well, where we lived <clears throat> in Surrey, in Carshalton, we were only five, six, seven miles from Croydon, Croydon Airport. And on a very good day, you could see Croydon Airport from our bedroom window. And at uh, night time, the planes used to come over when they were bombing London during the Blitz. And we would ha- we had a long corridor in the house, and we would sleep there on mattresses and blankets and candles, and because uh, it wasn't worth going to upstairs to bed, because you could only be in bed, and the siren would go, and you'd have to get up. And the front door round and regularly ten o'clock at night, the front door would rattle with the noise of the gunfire. Really? Uh, yes. And then in the morning time, when you got up. You weren't allowed to go outside into the garden. The home guard used to come and knock on the door because it was full of uh, strips of foil which the planes had dropped to foil the radar. Oh, yes. And they didn't know, they weren't sure if it was pregnated with... uh, anything. Chemicals yes, or anything, anything like that. anything at all. So, and that was meant to block radar signals. Yes. And you can remember that being littered oh, all yeah, over uh, the place. All over the place. And then, you see, the home guard would come and clear it up. And the very next night, the same thing would happen. My and, word. of course, I was at school. You used to have to go to school. But luckily, the school was only at the top of the road. But we would have to go with our gas masks 
as well, yes. Um, you'd wear the gas mask? You'd have the gas mask over your shoulder, just like a handbag. Yes. And the girls had uh, Minnie Mouse-shaped gas masks in pink boxes, and the boys had Mickey Mouse ma- gas masks in blue boxes. And you remember that oh, so God, well. Yeah, well, you see, it was so vivid. Mm. And uh, that there was a shelter in the school, and when the, the siren went during the day, we would have to go down into the shelter, which we kids thought it was great because we weren't doing any lessons. We were having a great time, <laughs> not realising how dangerous it was. Mm. Did you ever have a feeling of that danger? No. Never? Never, because, you see, I was only seven or eight, mm. and you wouldn't at that age really yeah. really realise how dangerous the whole thing was. Did you know your dad, because we'd come on now to World War Two because yes. your dad was deeply involved, and that's what we're going to talk about in a moment. Did you know he was, you realised he was away fighting? Well, I gathered he was away, yes, and, and during the war. I mean, nearly every uh, every household had either a, a husband or a brother or somebody away at the war. So you lived in a matriarchal society, yeah, all exactly. women, really? Exactly, yes, exactly. My mother and my grandmother. You see, we had a nanny because my mother and father were away such a lot before the war, mm. involved with... Um, Amy Johnson and Jim Morrison's epic flights. Amy round, Johnson? Yes, around the world. Oh, I, yes. So your parents were involved with yes, that? Yes, they were. Oh, my word. And my, my mother danced with Douglas Bader. And she said you would never know that he had artificial legs. Right. Yeah. So you had a nanny who looked after you for a yeah. lot of the time. Oh, she was. Oh, we had a nanny. She, she came uh, when I was born at... Uh, to the house and lived, you know, lived in. Yes. In a, Did you like her? Oh, she was lovely. She was from Scotland. Right. Yes. Was she kind to you? Oh, God, yes. Yes, definitely was. Yes. Were you closer to her, maybe, I dare I say this, than your mum if she was Probably, away a lot? Uh, well, well, sort of growing up, yeah, probably was. Same with my... Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Sister. As well. See, my brother was, he was away at boarding school, mm. but then he would come home for holidays. Right. So he didn't, he didn't see an awful lot of the 
Yes, war. yes. But when he did come home, I remember one one night, the bombing, the gunfire had been bad, and we had gone up to bed, and then we had to get up, and I remember my mother waking my brother up, and he got out of the bed and fell asleep on the landing. <laughs> <laughs> she nearly had to drag him down the stairs. A vivid memory yeah. you have of oh, that yes. time. Very what about the plane, the aeroplane, your dad's aeroplane? You seem to have very good it, memories uh, of it. Well, it was like a little gypsy moth thing he used mm. to get in and fly. This was after the war now. Yes. And he used, he and my mother used to fly off down to the south of France with friends for a, a holiday, you know. God, you, uh, may I say, had an aristocracy, an aristocratic, uh, let me say that, an aristocratic... Uh, upbringing. Upbringing, yes. I suppose, looking at but I mean, we never, we were never brought up like that. Yeah. Never, ever were we brought up like that. We were brought up to mix with Tom, Dick and Harry. And you did? Oh, God, yes. I, I remember one... One time during the war, the uh, it was in the daytime, and the, you know the the paper boy used to bring the papers. And this particular time, it was bad, and uh, he brought the paper, and my mother brought him in, and she said, "Wait with us until you know the sound, the all clear goes." And I remember him saying, "What about my bike?" And she said, "Never mind your bike, son. <laughs> I'll give you a cup of cocoa." <laughs> <laughs> Mind your body, not yeah, your bike, young not your fella. Bike, exactly. Yeah. But when he, your dad came back, you know, you know, when your dad returned, and he was we talk, away for three and a half years. Yes. D- did you bond with him then? Were you close to him? Ah, yes, yes. You know, he was very easy to bond with. Right. Yeah. Now he was away in World War Two. Tell us what what, what he did. It, it was quite different to the fighting he did in World War One, oh, wasn't it? Oh yes, it was. You see, he was a journalist. Okay. That was his job. And he worked for the Sunday Times and then the Daily Sketch, which amalgamated with the uh, Daily Mirror, which right. is the Daily Mirror now. Today, OK. Yes. And they sent him on some government job in, in America to try and get the American people to sort of try and help England against Hitler because at that time England was nearly standing alone Mm. when Hitler walked into France and so so forth. So he was just going to go on this tour. He was in America, actually, when Pearl Harbor was bombed. And, of course, that made his job easy to to, uh, sort of sway the Americans. Well, it was Truman, President Truman, that said that America is now going to join the war. Yes. Of course, they've got to... So your dad's mission was to go over there and try and convince he was part of a mission or was he covering the story? He was part of the mission. Okay. He was sent over Oh, right. As, as, and he was a working journalist. Yes. Just go back. Before, when, when he fought in World War One and came back, was he a journalist? Is that, was that he his was, career? That was his job. That was, was his career from the war. He was an gone. aviation journalist. Oh, right. That's how he was so involved with... Yes, but he, he broadened out then. Oh, yes. You see, he was sent by the papers by his papers, to do this mission. Yeah. And then when uh, uh, Japan bombed Pearl Harbor, yeah. it sort of swayed everything so different because America then came into the war. Yes. And then he he got, he got was flown then to Australia on, uh, from uh, doing this mission, and he then joined up with the 1st Cavalry Division of America, American, and went off to the Philippines. 
as part of their war effort. Yes. So he re-enlisted again as a soldier on the American side. No, he side. wasn't a soldier. No? He was a British war correspondent okay. with them. And you see, he got very friendly to, uh, with General Douglas MacArthur. Really? Oh, yes, they were great friends. And you see, General Douglas MacArthur had to leave the Philippines because it was being invaded by the Japs and went uh, back to Australia. But he vowed and declared when he were, left the Philippines that he said, I will be back, which he did come back. And he went off. And then, you see, my father got privilege, uh, permission by General MacArthur to join the Americans and go with them to film and report any of the action to send back to the papers. And this is key about your dad because this is what he's most famous for. Yeah. Because he bought that wee camera in the States, did yes, he, he, when he, he did. was there? Yeah, cine camera. Cine camera. Yeah. It was, he was ahead of his time. He, he bought this oh, he and, he, <laughs> and he took it with him. To the war front. Yes, he did. And as a result, there are tremendous films from many famous places, or infamous, if you like to say, during the Second World War, where your dad was. He was. He, he, you see, he got actual permission by General MacArthur to go to all these places. He was the first one to have colour, Kodak. It was Kodak, colour. Yes. And he was the first one to have that. And he would go, he was in the Philippines, he was in Leyte, he was in Borneo, he was in Papua New Guinea. He was all over the place. And he has footage from oh, all uh, of these. Yes, yeah, so you see, I was watching a programme called PBS America, last year it was, and uh, it was on about the fall of Japan. And suddenly, all of a sudden, my father pops up on it. Yes! <laughs> And they, would, they told them that uh, all the filming that was being done on that actual particular programme was being done by him. Oh, isn't yes. that just marvellous, yes. Anne? Just back to your dad and all the scenes he filmed, Anne, uh, around the uh, war times in different countries in the world. Hiroshima and Nagasaki, he was there. Yeah, he was. He was the first into which? Hiroshima after the bomb? He was the first into Hiroshima, I think it was Hiroshima, that... <clears throat> when the um, after the atom bomb, and it was absolutely flattened. Mm. He said you couldn't believe the devastation was unreal. Look at the chance he took as well, because radiation, you know. Well, this is it, you see. I mean, it was. You see, in those days, I suppose they didn't have the the knowledge of the radiation and stuff that we have now. That we have now. But his his what he what he shot on that little cine camera from both. Uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima were, were one of the first. Yeah, they were, he was images. the first. He was, was the, the first. He was yeah, exactly incredible, first. incredible. So he he comes home from the war. Then when the war finishes, yes. Can you recall? You, you said you struck up a very close relationship oh, with yes. him. That he was a lovely man. Did he settle back into civilian life because of his interest in the aviation and his journalism? Well, he did, but of course, you see, he was still attached to the. Sketch, daily sketch and the yeah. Sunday Times. So he still had to go and work with them. Mm. Find, you know, store, whatever, whatever story it was, he was sent. And he was, he was sent back to um, Tokyo when two years after the war had ended and he filmed the Emperor of Japan. Hirohito. Hirohito, yes, he filmed him. He filmed him 
making a speech to his Japanese people. He he went he uh, Hirohito went to Nagasaki. I think it was Nagasaki, and met uh, filmed the um, the Japanese all the Japanese people, letting them know that uh, MacArthur had let him be friends with with them. Didn't sort of banish him anywhere, mm. and uh, that was um, two years afterwards. My. And then he came back and he did different different stories of different. Things. Yes, he was very involved with. With the uh, aviation side of it. Yeah. Very Tell me the story. He, he was uh, made an OBE. He was OBE-MM, and the MM, he got military medal. Military medal. That was for World War One. he was yes, awarded that. Right. And then he was uh, made an OBE uh, by King George the Sixth in 1950. Yeah. Tell me the story uh, when he was in Sandringham with the king. <laughs> He was showing his films in Sandringham. And, of course, he had a terrible habit of fusing lights. He fused some of the stuff in Sandringham because in in America the currency is different as it is to Europe. Yes, of course. The electric shirt's yes. a different pin if yeah, you go over there and everything. Right. Yes. So he forgot to change the plugs. So there he was. <laughs> Behind the settee in this, must be in the sitting room or something, doing this when the late king came in from shooting in Sandringham and the weather was tipping down and he was wet through, the king was, and he said the air was blue with the language (laughs) that came out. And, of course, my father couldn't move. He didn't know he was there. He was stuck behind the settee, hoping and praying that he wouldn't cough or sneeze whilst he was there. And then off he went out. But he showed his films, and then I always remember him saying that the two princesses came in, and they had this beautiful rug in the middle of the floor and there were a the couple of the corgis eating it and they thought it must have cost the earth the thing and they thought it was hilarious the corgis synonymous yeah. back then with the royal family and oh, still did, today yeah. isn't it yeah. so there was your dad in a compromising position yes. with his plugs behind the settee and King George effing and blinding yeah, out of him exactly. to beat the band yes. isn't it a great story I say it was good it would I'm have made, sure. a, made a good film <laughs> can you imagine Imagine today if there was a mobile phone and you recorded it and <laughs> sent it around the place. Got to be massive news, wouldn't it? Really? Now he wrote a book called Airman Friday. That's right, he did. Was that about his flying? Did he, did he record it at the wars, or was it his no, private it was flying before the wars? Before it was all about uh, Amy Johnson and Jim Mollison. Okay, yes, know, their epic flights. Yeah, round to our, non-stop to Australia and other places that uh, and you you have a copy of it i had a copy of it and i lent it i cannot remember who i lent it to and i never got it back oh no no i never got it back you'd love to have a copy i would love to have a copy of it yeah yeah so airman friday does that ring a bell with anybody out there would it be round the place anywhere or anyone know anything about it and would love to it's our dad's book Yes, you know, it is. and is, is, are there copies around? Do you know or I don't know. I don't know who had the copy. I mean, it was before I was born. Yes, he wrote this. What uh, about your mum and all this? Oh, uh, my, my mother. Yeah, oh, she she went along with him. She she uh, sort of sort of stayed. Well, she was at home when the war was on, mm. and she, he would write home to her. But it would take ages for the letters to 
to arrive. Mm. I mean, he might write it today and send it, but you mightn't get it for a week. Wouldn't you be worried, I'm sure? I'm sure you, she was. You know, from her, put yourself yes. in her shoes. Not You were saying as youngsters, you we got on with it. Anyway. Exactly. Oh, of, course, of course she was worried. She would be worried, you see. And then when it got very bad with the V1s, the doodlebugs, and they would come over, and when they come over, uh, they'd come over for so far, and then the engine would cut out. And that's when it would land. It could go, dive down anywhere. Yeah. And then you had the V2s. They mm. were the rockets. Yes. And it was then when they came, when they came, we went up north to his mother and sister. So you moved yeah, from southern were, England yeah, for moved, safety? Yeah, for safety. Well, we were up there for, I don't know how long we were up there for. Mm. We were up there, I suppose, about a couple of months or three months yes, anyway. Yes, because London was being pulverised in the south of was, England at that yes, stage. It was. And uh, do, you, do you recall anything of rationing or food oh, shortages? Yes, yes, the rationing. Oh, God, yes. I mean, we didn't have, you, you never saw oranges, we didn't see fruit at all and you had your rationing of so much tea and that would have to last you a month and the same with the butter and I always remember the dried egg it used to be be dried egg it used to be a beautiful scrambled egg and uh, yeah, but the whole rationing was tight mm. really tight I mean like now coming up near Christmas you'd nearly have to save up your ration coupons to buy the extra stuff for Christmas. I mean, we never saw sweets. Couldn't get sweets or anything like that. Really? No, there was nothing like that. That must have been something else when the, the curfew was lifted. and It was, but you see, when my father came home, he came home and then about a month later, all his stuff, you know, gear came home. And if you'd seen the boxes of sweets and uh, <laughs> anything, I mean, stuff that we had never seen, which you couldn't get. Did you pig out, Anne? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Why <laughs> so wouldn't did my you? sister. My sister was three and a half, <laughs> nearly four. But I can remember the lolly. We got lollipops and we'd never seen the lollipop and they were all in the shape of farm animals. You know, mm. and things like that. And this was chewing gum, because chewing gum oh. wasn't, wasn't heard of in England. You never had chewing gum. Nobody. Even though Lonnie Dunnigan might have been singing yeah. about it, does your chewing, chewing gum, gum lose its flavour on the bedpost overnight? Oh, chewing gum, and then we had, oh, loads of stuff, you know. Yeah. Back to the OBE your dad got. That must have been extra special to get that award. Well, it was. Of course it was, you know. But uh, my mother went with him to receive it. We didn't. We were at school. Ah, oh, no. Yes, we didn't were. bring you along no. to the palace. <laughs> no, we were no. at school. Oh, at my school. word. So yeah. uh, he lived until he was 64, 60. 19... Uh, was 1960. 60. He yeah. died in 1960, That's in right, June 60. He was 64 years of age. The 6th of June, 1960, at half eight at night. You remember the time? Oh, yes. I was there. Did he fall suddenly to bad health? No. <clears throat> what happened was, it was 1959, he went back to America. He went back to America. He was, I don't know what he was doing, but he was doing something. He went back to America in the September, I think it was, 59. And he took ill. He got pneumonia and pleurisy. But you see, the pneumonia cleared up, but the pleurisy didn't. So they did like an exploratory exam. 
and they found a little growth the size of a pea on the and they advised him to come home because of the medical insurance over in America is so dear. Yes. So he came home in the December and he went into Guy's Hospital to do a, a, an exam on him and they told my mother that he had lung cancer. Oh, my word. Yes. You Did see, he smoke? Very little and drank very little. Could I go back to Hiroshima and Nagasaki? That's what I... That's funnily enough. I was only saying that to John the other day that when he was looking at it and him and the... You wouldn't know if anything to do with the radiation started it off. Yeah. Could it could have. But he... Uh, he... Um, you see, there was no... Um, chemo in those days mm. he, there was uh, oh I don't know what there was but anyway he uh, he came home and then they said there was nothing they could really do so he came and the lung used to fill up with fluid but he could he would go and get the fluid drawn off yes and he'd be perfectly all right, like you and I. Mm. And off he'd go back to America. Again? Yeah, oh, oh yeah, he, he, didn't, he didn't stop him until in the end, the doctors and the hospital said there was no, they couldn't do any more. More for many passed no. away on that day, the yes, 6th of June, 6th of June 1960. 1960. Just sit there another minute. I have to take a wee break and then uh, we'll uh, conclude this most interesting conversation in about three minutes. Stay with us on Late Lunch, folks. I'm in conversation this afternoon uh, with Anne Grant about her very famous dad, William Courtney, who fought in World War One, uh, shot the movies, the movie seminal movies in World War Two, right across the world. Was first into Hiroshima and Nagasaki after those awful uh, atomic bombs were dropped there, and lived a full and long life till he passed away in 1960. He was 64, I suppose. He could have lived a lot longer when you look at the years people are living uh, today. And your mother survived him till what year how long did she live 1974 Mm. she died so you had her for for a longer but you met a guy called John Grant yes where did you meet him I met him in Brighton where I where I where I was working okay I met him there and he clamped eyes on you or you on him which way was it me all right (laughs) and he just said to me Hello, Anne. And I looked at him and I just said to myself, you cheeky son, sir, how do you know my name? <laughs> and it just stemmed from there. And that was it? Yeah. Were you gone out long before you married? About two months, eight, eight weeks. My, like oh my. So, Talk about a whirlwind uh, romance. Yes, it was. And look, he was over there, obviously. John's originally from Drogheda, isn't he? Yes, yeah. He and he was over there working at the time. Yes, he was. And you, you didn't stay in England too long, did you, after he you got married? He wanted to come home. He said to me, no, he wanted to come home and he just said this this particular, one particular day. He said, I'm going home. And I said, where? What do you mean home? Going back to Ireland. I didn't know where Drogheda was. Didn't know any part of Ireland. Knew north and south, but I didn't know. know I knew, heard of Dublin and I heard of Belfast, but that's as much as I knew about it. Had you ever been out of England yourself? No, never. Never been out. With all the travelling your father the traveling, and your mother no, yeah, did? No. Never? Never. So, 
you must have loved him to hop on a boat. boat. Was it a boat? And boat, co- oh, like a, like a cattle market thing, you know. You hopped on? Yes. And to Drogheda? Yes. In 1971 19, Christmas? Yeah, December 71. Oh, my God. You I must know. have, from Brighton to Drogheda in 1971, that must have been a shell shock for you. It was, to begin with, you know, because I, I literally knew nobody. Yeah. You know. You I found think. the people strange. Tell me why. They, well, they were, they were sort of, you know, you walk along the street and uh, you might pass somebody and you say, hello. And you say, hello, as if to say, I don't know you. Why are you saying hello? Because in England they don't do that. You nearly have to drag the words out of them. So everybody acknowledged you and said they hello did, to you and yes. that was utterly foreign to you from yeah, where you'd come for a from. While, and, then, yeah. and then as soon as I started uh, going to work, you sort of blend in with, mm. the, with the background. Where did you work? I worked in the Lourdes Hospital. Did you? Yes, I did. I worked in the kitchen cooking. For how long? Oh. Good number of years? I did, No, I did about three years because I gave up when I was expecting Marianne, which was in 1973. Okay. You know, they had a policy when you became six months I old. know. You had Tell to, me about yeah, it. Yeah. Oh, my God. So you couldn't... Um, you had to leave work. You had to leave. How many children have you? I have four. Okay. Many four. girls and many boys? Three girls and one son. And they're all married. Fantastic. And you have grandchildren, I know, I as well, haven't you? Oh, lovely, yeah. lovely, lovely. But listen, the Lourdes Hospital wasn't the only place you worked because you went to work in a very famous place here. Butlins. Yes. You worked in the holiday camp, did yes, you? Yes, I did. I worked in the holiday camp. Do you remember those days, Dan Lowry's? Oh, Dan's and oh God, yes. The red I, coats. Yes, the red coats and the chalets. <laughs> I was one of the cooks Were in you? the kitchen, yes. Yeah. With Patsy Clinton and so forth. You know. Yeah. I was good. It was long hours, but mm. it was hard work. It really was a go-to place for holidaymakers well, for was, a time, wasn't yes, it? Yes, it was. I mean, the, it, oh, it did, you know. And then I I became management of the staff canteen and looked after the staff. Yeah. And, uh, oh, I loved my job. If yeah. I could, I couldn't if it was a holiday camp, I'd go back tomorrow. Well, you know, I'm sitting here smiling and you've brought such a warm glow to me because I have such fond memories. I've have been taken fond- there as a child. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and, and oh, my God, it was nothing like it. I can remember the bumper cars, yes. the big wheel, the boats oh, on the lake, lake, the swimming pools. Yes. Oh, my God, it was just... It was great for the kids. It, it was, was great. Tremendous. It really was. Oh, the warm memories but, I had. But you, have to, you used to have to work hard. Oh, I know. But I loved it. I, yeah. I really loved it. Because it took a lot of hard work behind the scenes to keep that show on the road with yes. all the residents that were there, the day visitors. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. Andy, remember, we ever tipped off for passes for bottlings. You know, they say, would you oh, get me yeah. a pass? Yeah, oh, yeah, I used to, yes. But we had the money to pay, and should my mother be tapping anyone? She could, can we get a pass for bottlings today? And because my kids used to come up, you know, because I had a chalet and they used to go and dump everything into the chalet mm. and spend the day in Mosley. Yes. Great fun. Great fun. Yes. And when it closed and then it was reincarnated in a new life as a holding centre for refugees. That's right. You went back. Yes, I did. So you've seen both sides of I've seen both sides. I was a... F- the first chef to go back and start cooking when it became a, mm. a refugee centre. I fact, uh, two of my daughters worked in it, Marianne and Claire. Very she good. She worked in it before it mm. was uh, a refugee. Now, you mentioned Chef Anne. What do you, what do you love to rustle up? Do you still do a bit of cooking? 
Yeah, I do a load of cooking. Do you? Yes. <laughs> I do a lot of baking. What do you do? Oh, are you, are you, are you the Mary Berry? Sort of, I suppose. Oh, good woman yourself. <laughs> we have our Northeast Mary Berry with us on the show this afternoon. Oh. You're, you love baking, do you? I do love baking, what, yeah. what do you love to bake? If you were to say to me, Jerry, if you're going to present me with your piece de resistance, your favourite thing that you bake, what would it be? I don't know, really. Where in food or cakes? Or cakes. Oh, cakes. Oh, well, um, a brack. I have, I have to make, are you, are I, you good at a brack? Yes, I have you to do. You do a tea brack? Yeah. Oh, Anne, I'm putting in an order. Halloween is coming fast. I know, I have to make three of them. Oh, oh, do one for me. I'll make one for I'll you. pay you for it. No, you I won't. Promise. I promise. I will. No, I will. I love tea bracks. I'm a real, I have a real penchant for them. So oh, tea bracks. I'll make you a tea brack. Oh, listen. I love I lo- you. I, lo- <laughs> I love listening to Seamus and... Uh, uh, Christine in the mornings, do you? Those two are mine. The blackguards, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, I know uh, Seamus. Do he, you? He did the photography work Absolutely. in Bartlin when it was yeah. Bartlin's Yeah, they give me an awful slagging at I times. Do you do. know that? They were slagging me about Kylie Minogue. Did you hear Kylie was yes. cancelled yesterday? And me all set to go to her. Where are you going? Oh, listen. I'll tell you what. My heart sank yesterday when I got the phone call. Yes, yeah, she But she'll be back. She will be back. She'll, she'll be back. I wonder, would she like a piece of tea, Brack? I don't know. Could it be an introduction for me to her? What do you think? Oh, a good idea. You a bit of Anne Grant's it. tea, Brack. You can try it. Myself and the waif from Australia. <laughs> over a cup of chai. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that know. sounds good. I'm getting good vibes now, to be honest with you. I will. I'll make you a tea. Anyway, today on Late Lunch, you've been listening to a wonderful, wonderful lady. Her name is Anne Grant. She hasn't talked about this. I'm, I'm right there and saying you would, may not know this about this lady. All the people who know her, her father, William Courtney, a very, very famous man indeed. I thank you for dropping in to me on Late Lunch oh, today. I've so enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Anne. Not at all. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. Kelly finds Patrick McElhaney. McElhaney just lifts that over the challenge of Jamie Lennon. And he's found Pat Holman. Pat Holman has scored! The, the level and the Joker heading for the title! And Pat Holman, who else? There you go. That's what we want. There's the magic of Patrick McElhaney. Dances past three players. What a ball into McElhaney or into Pat Holman as well. And as cool as you want, into the corner. And the title's home. Champions of Ireland, we know what they are, what we are, say the Dundalk supporters. And that's exactly what they are. Shamrock Rovers nil, Cork City nil, still the scoreline in Tallis Stadium. But it doesn't matter what happens there, as it stands here at Oriel Park. Dundalk are picking up the point they need to become Premier Division champions for 2018. Yeah, you know, the players have been absolutely magnificent and uh, very proud of them, really. And uh, they've been nothing short of brilliant all season, and it's, it's a great win. That's my first title, hopefully, first of many. So, um, obviously, yeah, we've won this one. So, I'm already looking 
forward to next season and see if we win it again. But I think that's a that's a new motivation, really. Like you're, when you're young, you think like you win your first one, you get you that confidence that you, you know, we can win this and you can win that. So yeah, um, obviously the celebrations be good the, the weekend, but we'll uh, regroup on Monday and we'll get ready for Waterford and the, re- the remaining league games and then the cup final. So yeah, it's uh, exciting times ahead. So can't complain, can you? Ah, great feeling um, to finally get over the line. Tough game, it wasn't easy for us, and uh, um, you know, Pat's they made it difficult, and uh, you know, just what? to get over the line, it's, just, it's a great Patrick feeling. Patrick come in here, don't be doing that now and then running off. Uh, Patrick, uh, both Patricks, I have two Patricks here tonight, and Patrick McElhenney, very instrumental in Pat Hoban's goal here tonight as well. I had just, uh, I think I ran through, and I just seen him at the corner of my eye, and um, just hoping they, I tried to play quick and he took an unbelievable touch and unbelievable finish so it's expected a part to be fair I don't think it was it was not even the um, losing the league like it was the cup final that kind of motivated us as well because we went when they looked when we lost to that and the feeling of not winning like I know we won the year sports but like not like a major trophy and was in the FA Cup or the, uh, the league I think it was a bit, it was a bit disheartening and uh, it motivates you even more like to bounce back and win a league and it's hard work like and like the things go behind the scenes and everything it's it's really it's hard work like if you are not dedicated you're, you're, you're winning nothing. Yes, a montage there put together brilliantly by our own Dan Bridge. Thank you so much, Dan. And uh, we'll have the full version of that on the podcast a little bit later on. Frankie Waters and Ian Sharkey, two died in the wool. Lily White's fans are on the line. They've been listening to that. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Thank you very much for joining me on the show today. Good afternoon, Jerry. All right, Jerry. Good man, Ian. Thank you for joining us. Frankie, if I could start with yourself. Total world domination. Four out of the last five titles. Incredible. Yeah, oh, it's brilliant. And, and sometimes when you lose something, Jerry, it's even better when you get it back. And I, I must say that's what was so good about uh, Friday night, you know, uh, the disappointment of last year and then winning it back and winning it so emphatically back from Cork. So, so it was a brilliant night. So uh, onwards now to European domination next. <laughs> Good man, Frankie. I love the positivity. No more positive man you'll meet in your lifetime. On a serious note, though, come on, this Dundalk side, the present one, when you compare it, because Stephen Kenny he had to sort of rebuild last year. He lost players yeah. to England. How do you rate this side with the previous one? I, I think this side has the potential to be just as good as the previous, particularly the double winning team. I think towards the end of the season, we began to see the potential with Duffy and McEnany and Hoban up front and, you know, what that could do, you know, and Mountainy back. So it's certainly, I think, particularly, you know, going towards the court game and from then on, as you can see where this team is going. So I, I, expect, I expect even better things going forward and preferably better things in Europe going forward. Ian Sharkey, when did you know that the title was coming back to the Carrick Road? What game in particular? Yeah, probably the Cork away game, Jerry. Uh, the really like the players celebrated as if they won the league that night. Like it was a great like Chris Shields uh, doesn't score very often. He scored three goals this season, which is great, and he's just been absolutely everywhere, Chris. Uh, yeah. But I thought the, after the Cork game, the players and the management <coughs> and the backroom team celebrated like 
it was over that night. And that was when I thought it was over too now. Yeah, yeah, because they, they, they're they the ones that really ran you tight for the title. And, like, you know, Cork have had a good season as well, but Dundalk have just been better than them this time round. We um, have, yeah. Mm. We have. probably started off a little bit shaky, like, a draw the bridge or draw away the Rovers and that, like, but probably a little bit pessimistic from the start. But as the season built on, we built up ferocious momentum and uh, we kicked on from then. Like, I thought we were always better team than Cork. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, there's no doubt about that. And and, and as uh, you know, Frankie was saying there about European domination. Well, there's another big job to be done. I know you'll play out your league games, but the cup final is coming up first Sunday in November against either Cork City, your nemesis, or Bohemians. Ian, who would you like in the final? I, I I'm just glad to be there. Uh, probably Bohemians from a neutral point of view. Like it'll make for a better spectacle as a game. But uh, I don't mind where they are. I don't mind. I just like to win it again. Like. Yeah, and that, that in 2014, like, and yeah, yeah, that replays this evening. So we'll we'll know uh, by late tonight actually who you're going to be playing in the final. Frankie, who's the standout player or players for you in the squad this year? I, I was thinking about this, Jerry, and to be honest, if if I was to say the lynch man for for Dundalk in my mind this year is Chris Shields. Mm. Uh, I, I think you know the work rate he has, and, and sometimes he, he doesn't get the praise that he deserves. He doesn't get the awards or the, the you know the player of the month, etc. Hooban certainly, you know, with, with the goals and the defence conceding so few goals. But I think the linchpin in the middle of the field was Chris Shields, and certainly, you know, if I, if I was making any awards, be it Dundalk Player of the Year, Chris Shields would be my man this year. I think he's crucial to what we do. I mentioned about domination. Four out of five is some achievement for the club to win those amount of titles. Is, Frankie, this the greatest era? I know you had the Turlock O'Connor era. You had the Jim McLaughlin time. Is this Dundalk's finest hour? I was very fond of particularly Jim McLaughlin's teams and particularly Jim McLaughlin's double team. And, of course, when you've got a team like with Tommy McConville and Derm Keeley at the back, you, you're very reluctant to say it. But, but I do have to say that this team of Kenny's and the style of football they play, you know, and you were talking about the cup final, if it is Cork in the cup final, you know, what they'll try and do is stop us playing and Dundalk play football no matter who they're playing against. So I suppose, reluctantly, I have to say that this team of Kenny's is probably the best Dundalk team I've ever seen. There you go, Frankie Waters. Take note of it, saying it today, live on LMFM Radio. He's really put down a marker there. What about you, Ian? Like, I have a similar type of questions. You're following Dundalk a long time. What about this group and the manager? Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Like, it's not only the manager, I'd say it's the lad behind him and who he micromanages, like mm. Vinnie Perch, the Rory Higginses and Steve Williams and all the other coaches. It's a team behind the team, you know? Yeah. So, you were, uh, you I were, were looking, I'd be a little bit like Frank, I'd be reluctant to say this is probably the best team ever, but it probably is, like, mm. they qualified for the European group stages, and yeah. we'll come back to the Barry Kios and the McConvilles and the Keelys and the Martin Lawlers, the O'Neills, Blackmoors. Yeah. They, they were great teams too, like Jim McLaughlin, mm. a legend, Tony O'Connor, a legend, like, you know, mm. absolutely great team, but this present team, the way it's playing, like, it's, like, fans here in, in the town or in dreamland like you know yeah do you see anybody uh, challenging Dundalk's preeminence over the next while Cork have sort of fallen away it looks to be a bit stale down there will they change the manager that's the question Rovers have threatened and huffed and puffed but they haven't come and really the rest of them Bows on a bit of a run at the minute are, are just also runs Ian I think I think the only team with potential now to come at us again will probably be Rovers mm. I think Cork might dwindle away Rovers have to get in a few quid for their young keeper. 
But in Europe, European money is important. I think they have the potential. They're a massive club, brilliant ground, even though it's not their own. But to have the potential to come at us. Yeah. I think the Pats are going to fall away, I think, again. <coughs> Bowes, similarly. Mm. I can see Cork being there and thereabouts, but I think that they're going to peter out a wee bit now. Yeah, yeah, that, that'll be my assessment of it too. Frankie, the, the meaning of having a successful club to a town can't be uh, under or overstated. I've been down, you see the colours everywhere, the shorts being worn. It gives the whole community such a lift, doesn't it? Look, with the Dundalk team, as I even say, it goes back to the 60s and the 70s with me, 60s and 70s, you know, where, where the identity of the town was tied up so much with those teams, particularly when the town was going through bad times yeah. and the troubles, etc. And now, you know, you go around the town, you don't see young fellows wearing Man United jerseys or Liverpool jerseys or Man City jerseys. It's Dundalk jerseys they're wearing, which mm-hmm. is absolutely brilliant. I don't think that's happening anywhere else, you know, certainly on this island. And it's a huge, huge lift for the town. You know, it, the, the sense of identity is just tremendous. Can I just say also, agree with Ian, that really about Dundalk's dominance, it's not just about the team, it's about Kenny and the entire team he has around him, the Vinnie Perth, etc., this world. And I think that's what stands to us. Um, and if I was talking about who who might, you know, I, I do agree with Ian, you know, Shamrock Rovers possibly next year, but, you know, it's more than just a squad and a, a team. It's, it's everything that Dundalk brings to brings to football. Mm, absolutely. There's no doubt about that. So the cup final, Ian, is the, the next big day out to look forward to. This is the fourth yeah. year in a row uh, to the Aviva Stadium for the Blue yeah. Ribbon. I'm, I'm sure you'd love to win that and make it a double. Great, it'd be great, and another double now would be brilliant. Like we've lost the last two, one on penalties, one by the odd goal. Like, but it'd be absolutely fantastic to get to. Actually, it is fantastic to get to the Aviva, mm. and uh, to make it a double. Like it's, it's it just put the icing on the cake to an absolutely brilliant season. Like. Yeah, and I often, I often feel, Ian, you know, I know winning the league is the pinnacle. There's no doubt about that. You win your league, you're the best team in the country. But there's something magical about a cup final day, isn't there? It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Like, uh, a lot of people took for granted that we'd beat UCD. Like, mm. I was one that didn't take them for granted and they played very well against us. Yes. You know, and I was just delighted we got to the VV again. Like, yeah. it was a brilliant day out, like, for the town of Dundalk. And as, as uh, Frank says, the colours here since. Yeah, absolutely. So, Frankie, you're all set. You you have your ticket booked. You're 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 sorted. And can I say, yeah, there's something about the cup, Jerry. And I always one occasion I remember was the 2002 cup final when we beat a very fancy Bohemians team managed by some young fella called Stephen Kenny in Talca Park. In Talca Park. We beat them two one in a glorious May day, and that is one of those days that even though we were relegated that year, yeah. it's one of those days I remember. And cup finals are just memorable, and I'll never forget that feeling of walking out last year after losing that penalty shootout. It's a horrendous, it was a horrendous feeling. So there is yeah. something about the cup, Jerry, it, no doubt. It, there is. And Frankie, doesn't it show you just before we finish with Dundalk? Look, we remember the days when it was a huge struggle in that first division and the long past oh, now, and long right. may the good days yeah, continue. Yeah, but yeah. it does just show you for any club that with the right people and some money and the right manager, manager and staff, as you said, there behind them, the sky's the limit. Oh, well, potentially, yeah. Yes. And, and the access to European football, I keep yeah. saying the same thing. That, that's where the real potential is, you know, that y- you make the breakthrough in yes. Europe. But of course, you can't do that unless you can mm. perform in your national league. Yes. You know? so, so, but the, yeah, it, it's, it's about the owners, it's about everyone. And, and can I say about Andy and Paul, the, the, the owners who've brought 
Stephen Tory Park. They started all of this as yes. well. They're the ones who went to Stephen's house in Burncrown and said, look, will you manage Dundalk? So, so it's been a team effort now going back over six years, particularly at the moment. So onwards to the cup final. Onwards is right. Boys, enjoy. The best of luck to you. We'll be talking more about this, I'm sure, between now and the beginning of November. But again, congratulations to Dundalk Football Club on a wonderful, wonderful achievement again this year. Frankie Waters and Ian Sharkey, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Two great guys there and on cloud nine and understandably so. That's a lot on late lunch for this Monday afternoon. Eddie's next with The Drive. We'll see you, please God, tomorrow. Have one. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.